Uh, welcome, Pavels and Pavelettes and all their fans. Another beautiful episode of the Pavelcast coming at you pretty hot out of the oven. We got Adam Unger. He's an old friend of mine. Um, and he's a guy I want to call his podcast Follow Your Dreams. Um, when he was young, he wanted to play baseball. And he followed his dream to actually becoming a minor league baseball player. We'll talk about how the 100-meter dash is important, how he overcame all his uh, maybe physical limitations by having a really strong mindset and, and leaning into his strengths. Um, we talk about the power of confidence, talk about baseball and baseball culture. We talk about mindfulness and kind of that mental strength. We talk about his love for singing. Now, he's a lawyer now, but he has always had a love for singing um, opera, and it's a passion that he's currently pursuing. The importance of right coaches, the, you know, the market dynamics of opera houses, um, how to motivate yourself. And I love his hot tip, and I'll give it to you now. Basically, you should treat yourself as an experiment. Don't care about anything else. You are your own life experiment. Do what you want to do. Um, great episode. I love his voice. It's so magical, smooth, yet powerful, and bassy. And we do a little singing in the middle and in the end. Um, I think you'll have a fun time. Thanks for all the new listeners out there. Enjoy the show. And I almost forgot, we are actually finally live on the YouTubes, youtube.com, Pavelcast. You, if you want to see me roll my eyes like at least 100 times, this is the YouTube channel for you. Um, we're going to be recording our interviews on Zoom. We're going to post them on YouTube. Um, you might actually enjoy it because sometimes me and my guests get quite animated and that's hard to capture over the audio podcast. Enjoy the show. Let's go. Boom. Uh, was another episode of the Pavelcast. And here we are. Uh, it's my absolute joy to welcome Adam Unger. Yes. yes. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. So let's give people a little bit. I mean, I'm going to call this podcast Follow Your Dreams. You know, you're one of the guys that I know kind of. One of, one of the only people I truly know who's like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, no matter what, which I think is really hard for people. So you started out in baseball, right? I mean, that, that was like your first dream. And you were like, let me become a baseball player. Did that happen? Yeah. Um, I, I started off, I mean, playing baseball before I can remember. So I, like you when know, you were a kid? Like, a, like how old? Yeah, yeah, when I was five. It's sort of like a, an aspiration that, that generated unconsciously because I, I don't like remember the decision of, Oh, I want to play baseball. Cause I was too young, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, but I got very into it at a young age. And, uh, you know, my dad is, um, he was a very, it was like having a motivational speaker for a father, you know, the more, I look, <laughs> the more, I, the more I look back on it. Um, and I think he kind of taught me to be, maybe like unrealistically um, uh, brave in going after what I wanted to go after. And sort of this belief that, um, you know, if I think I can do something that I can do it no matter what. And I think he was pretty supportive in that, in that too. You know, some people have, you know, plans for their kid to be X, Y, and Z. And, you know, he never planned for me to become a baseball player. I mean, he was a lawyer himself, although he did sing. Uh, as well, um, mm. you know, and, he, and then for the record, you are a lawyer now. Yeah, I'm a lawyer now too. So I think, um, I think, you know, I, I have this memory when I was a kid of my 
of my dad uh, reading me the book, uh, The Little Engine That Could, over and over again, which is like a famous children's book about an engine who keeps saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. So, you know, when I was seven years old, eight years old, I remember thinking, you know, now I'm going to be this great baseball player. I'm going to play for the Yankees. I'm going to you know, <laughs> do all these things. And, you know, where most people would say that maybe that's unrealistic. To me, it was like I was really going to do it and I was going to do whatever it took to get there, which which brought on, you know, burdens as you know, with every dream when you try to achieve it uh, brings on burdens with that dream because you can't just sort of sit there and do nothing. So, um so yeah, I mean, I, I was I was really into baseball. I so you practice yeah. a lot. You were part of like oh, camps and everything. All the time. Yeah, I I I, didn't, I mean, I had a lot of disadvantages too. I mean, I'm I'm only five foot eight. I wasn't that fast of a runner. You're Jewish. So I'm Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> so although I had although I had you know some some substantial amount of athletic ability uh, compared to you know let's say you know guys who who are stars or you know you might think of uh i don't know uh, you know derek cheaters or mm -hmm. alex Rodriguez, guys like that i had relatively little talent when it came to size strength and just pure speed um although i was very coordinated so i had to work very very hard on sort of building a lot of those things artificially that i didn't have uh from a talent perspective mm -hmm. and so you know so curious like what did you so you went to these camps you i mean you finished high school and then did you play college baseball no, or did you go I, straight well, into I, camps? Know, I, I signed i signed with florida state university my senior year of high school and then i um and then i got drafted by the yankees and i decided to forego going to college for the time and play for the yankees Mostly because it was just the Yankees. And I mean, I that's so a dream come true, right? Holy moly. Yeah, it was a dream come true for me. And, you know, I didn't know, like, I kind of knew that I wasn't like a crazy, you know, top prospect. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think that, you know, I, I can go back now and analyze. Why'd they sign my, you? Huh? Why'd they sign you? Well, because I was good enough to get drafted. But but I wasn't a, what you might call a top prospect. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, I, you know, the, the 60 yard dash is a big measuring speed of measuring stick of speed for, uh, for baseball players. Okay. And you got to kind of run it in seven seconds. It's very average. And, um, but if you're smaller, like someone like me, then you want to be in like the six, seven, six, eight, you know, even six six area, um, because you want to be a base stealing threat. You want to have uh, a very dynamic game in that respect. Me, when I was a ju a sophomore, a junior in high school, I think I ran the sixty yard dash in eight point three seconds. <laughs> Oops, which is a basically non-starter for some. Like you could be the greatest fielder you could be a great hitter you know but at my size if you're running that slow you know done you know, a lot of that had to do with strength and maturity and things like that but you know some guys they just wake out of, they just get out of bed 
mm-hmm. know, and they're and they're running in you know six six eight six nine six right. seven, just by just pure talent. So basically, my entire junior and senior year of of, uh, of high school, I basically became like a track athlete. I was doing everything possible training like I was training for the uh, 100 meter dash in the Olympics, right. you know, in order to get my speed down because over 60 yards, a second is humongous. Wow. You know what I mean? Over yeah. that short distance. So, but by the time I got drafted, I ran a seven one, which wow. is still not good, but it was just good enough. And let me tell you, I did not go out with my friends at all my senior year of high school. I did nothing. I didn't even concentrate on my schoolwork. I was practicing every day like an animal. Yeah. You know, so I learned kind of that you can, you can always do more than you think you can if you're a good mimic. If you're able to, like, look at someone that does something really, really well naturally and say to yourself, okay, how do I become more like them? And if you train the right way and you, and you dedicate yourself to it and you're adaptable, you can become better than you think you can. But that still gets to my main point, which is that even after all that work, I still wasn't fast enough to really be what you might consider a base dealing threat, which at my size would have been a necessity. You know, and then I think, I think my, my second year of spring training, I ran a six, nine, which was pretty fast, but the amount of work that I got, I did to run a six, nine, most people, I probably spent 400 hours, 500 hours, more than that, a thousand hours, who the hell knows to get my running speed to be a six, nine. When a lot of people I was playing with, they spent zero hours to get their running speed to a six nine. They just kind of like no, yeah, I get it. Already. Were there naysayers? I mean, there must have been who were like, "Oh my god, you're coming oh in with god, an eight point two. What are you even doing here? Like, you need to stop well, immediately." There were tons of people in high school who were like, "Who were like, oh, this kid sucks. He's not good, you know." And and looking back on it, I I actually underperformed for the level of ability that I did have because I didn't have enough confidence. I think that the people that I saw who, um, who succeed professionally, they have an irrational amount of confidence in themselves, especially the ones that succeed who don't have the most athletic talent. It's like, it's like you have a, a, like a graph. Like the more physical ability you have, the, the more of a screw-up you can be mentally and still be really good. But the less physical ability you have, the more mentally you have to be really, really, really sharp. Because, you know, it, it makes a huge difference, I have to say. Like, I did have games where I had a lot of confidence. I was very relaxed. And things slowed down for you. You know, it may be on the edge of things, you know, like, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on the, on the, on the margin, but that margin is very, very important, you know, and you kind of have to have that personality where you're very intense and you care, but you almost are playing in a very, in a way, like, it's like you're 
you're really confident and you care, but you just don't give a fuck at the same time. And so you're able to just kind of like play to the maximum amount of what your ability is. And actually very few people can do that. Mm-hmm. Very few athletes can get the most out of themselves, right? Because if you look at like the ma- Major League Baseball, most of the differences are not physical. Most of them are probably this guy's getting the most out of himself, whereas the other guy isn't, you know? I get it. So, the, so these naysayers were there and you had to kind of oh, ha- yeah. have this confidence that is that you had to just – go against all that and i guess i mean partially probably driven by your dad or yeah there was a website that got put up it was like a commentary on long island baseball (laughs) and when i got signed by florida state university which is one of the best baseball schools in, in america they were actually writing on there that my dad gave florida state a million dollars so that so that they would sign me, which was That's not true, I imagine. Ridiculous. It was totally not true. <laughs> you know, I, we grew up in a nice middle-class home, but my dad just definitely does not have a million dollars to throw away to a, to a college <laughs> information. Yeah. Um, and, and so, like, yeah, I mean, that really – it definitely hurt. You know, you're, you're, you're uh, 18 years old. I mean, how could that not, you know, kind of, kind of hurt you? And then you – you know, you, you, you get the feeling when you're playing in games, oh, if I make an out, people are judging me. If I, if I make a mistake, if I make an error, people are judging me. People are looking at mm-hmm. me, oh, Adam's not that good. Adam's not that good. And so that can translate into you yourself not thinking that you're that good or that you right. deserve it. Or like, why are all these good things happening to me? Why do people even think I'm good? I'm really not that good. Like, there's a little bit of a... I think I went through a little bit of an imposter syndrome as well. But, you know, then I look back on videos now of me playing baseball, and I really was very, very outstanding at, 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 um, at a lot of things as a baseball player. And I think that people saw how hard I worked and how hard I wanted it. And I think that um, when you want something very, very badly, um, in many respects – uh, you can almost will your way to doing it. And I think that is kind of what I did because I should have been more confident in myself. Um, and, and I succeeded despite not being as confident as I should have been, mm-hmm. not running as fast as, I, as, I, as, I, as other people, right. not being as big and as strong as other people. I was a great infielder. Yeah, I had great hand-eye coordination. So I was really good at all this stuff that that involved and I very good body control. And, you know, when I, when I caught a ground ball, I kind of looked like a, like a ballroom dancer, you know, I was very smooth in that way. So, uh, so I did do some things very, very well, which garnered my attention. And I was a good hitter and I had good hand eye coordination, but I wasn't strong. Once my strength came and I kind of figured out how to hit, you know, then I got better at it and started doing better as a hitter, um, especially when I was playing for the Colorado Rockies um, in the minor leagues. But oh, you yeah, got man, traded I, away as, from the Yankees, huh? You got traded away. From, you got traded away from the Yankees. Yeah, you know what happened was is I I actually again a confidence thing. I I came to spring training, and I shocked people because like in between the fall and the and spring of 04, 03 and 04, I got a lot stronger. 
Um, I was just a different athlete. And people were like, wow, look at this younger guy. And look what he was able to do in six months in the offseason. You know, mm-hmm. I was able to, you know, hit a home run with a wooden bat in batting practice, which is pretty hard to do. Um, I was hitting the ball probably 100 feet further than I was six months before, which mm-hmm. will definitely open some eyes for you, you know. But then I actually um, was stupid and I listened to some of the wrong people from a technique standpoint uh, on how to hit a baseball. Because just like everything else in life, there are actually a lot of theories on how you should hit a baseball. And most of the people who purport to be hitting experts uh, are actually, you know, don't really actually really know what they're talking about when it comes to the very, very fine specific things that you need to do to hit at a very, very high level, at least for me. And so I went into spring training with the Yankees. And when I played in the games, I literally just struck out like 10 times out of 12 at bats. And I lost my confidence. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing very well. And the Yankees were probably kind of like, hey, you know what? This guy's not going to get a lot of playing time here. The Colorado Rockies needed an extra infield or whatever. So they sent me packing over to Colorado, which is kind of a shocking thing when you're 18. Be like, hey, by the way, you're moving to Tucson, Arizona. You know, bye. And, and there's like, no, you have no choice in the matter, right? Like, no you just choice, have to do yeah. what you what they're telling you to do. Well, you can you can quit, but but if you want to keep playing, you have no choice. And they're not so, paying you like well at this point either, because right? I just oh no, not at all. I mean, I got a decent <laughs> signing bonus, and I. I, um, you know, they put in my contract that if I went back to school, college, uh, they would pay for a, a portion of my college tuition, which was nice. That's good. But, you know, I went to, I went to the Rockies. And it was kind of a new start for me. I, I kind of got away from what I was doing wrong with the Yankees. And um, I went back to the hitting technique that this guy, Sal Agostinelli, who had, who had uh, he had taught me. Because the one thing is that when the level of play is very, very high, you start to figure out very quickly what works, what doesn't work, and um, who's, who was full of shit, who was right. And so I really kind of drilled myself back into that technique of hitting. Mm-hmm. And then I started to hit. And I started to hit very, very well. And uh, I remember a teammate of mine who I'm still friends with, he was a catcher, uh, his name was Steven Gutzman. And um, he said when I showed up there, everybody was kind of doubting me, like, oh, who's that you know, small, small white Jewish kid? You know, who's this guy? And uh, I was facing this guy called uh, named Juan Murillo. And he was throwing 100 miles an hour, literally 100 miles an hour. I still remember it today. I mean, the ball comes just like, the snap of my fingers is like, boom, boom. It's right by you. <laughs> and I, I got up against this guy, and I hit a connected, and I hit a bullet line drive back up the, back up the middle. And from that point on, I had everyone's respect um, That's you know, awesome. on the team, as my friend told me, because they were like, wow, this guy actually can play. So um, I started to gain my confidence and I started to kind of like be able to hit, you know, be able to be able to find myself as a, as a professional, to be a, really a professional player. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not someone who just had the opportunity to play professionally, who was drafted, but really developing into a professional uh, quality level baseball player, um, which with something I'd be working, I've been working on for a very, very long time. What was the culture like? Were you living in a hotel room? Did you have an apartment? Were yeah, you part of I was living family? in a hotel. 
Yeah, I was living in a hotel room with a roommate. And I, I think the culture is very kind of like fratty, you know? You're with a bunch of like guys who are uh, young, you know, either in their early 20s or late teens. You're, you're mixed in with a bunch of guys, you know, they're there, and they're from all over the country, from Canada. And then you got a bunch of guys from Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, maybe Venezuela, mm-hmm. maybe someone from Japan, I don't, you know, and, and it's kind of like this, you know, a lot of times like the, the American players and the Spanish players, they kind of hung out separately. So, you know, there was a little bit of natural segregation going on because there's a language barrier, there's different culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Latin guys, a lot of times are, are, uh, are uh, but, but I got along with them very well because I actually spoke Spanish because I had taken seven years of it, middle school and high school. Oh, wow. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of fun, you know. Did you guys but like they, share meals, go out together? Were you oh, allowed yeah, to like party? meals, go out try to go to strip clubs you know it was like the first time i had done i had done anything like that you know um and uh That's you know fine. you're not allowed you're not allowed to have girls in your rooms in, in the minor leagues which i actually got in trouble for because we just when i was with the rockies we decided to bring a bunch of girls back to the hotel yeah and i think someone told on us someone at the hotel told on us they called the manager and i wasn't even in the room and i got in trouble because the girls were in my room so i mean that was a uh uh, uh <laughs> Very scary. Looking back on it, it's ridiculous. But they, I think, I don't know why, but they, they do give speeches to you about, you know, be careful with girls. Like, you know, if you have sex with someone, use your condom, don't use theirs. I don't know if we can talk about this in this podcast, but. Oh, because, yeah, we can. Because I guess there are women out there who will just say, like, I want to impregnate myself by a professional athlete, <laughs> you know, because you're in some of these towns in the, in the middle of nowhere. And they'll, you know, I guess maybe they'll take condoms and poke holes on them and try to have a baby with a with a with a guy who might, you know, make it to the major leagues. I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure but, they want you guys just focused on the game and nothing else, if possible, which makes sense. Yeah, they want you focused on baseball, nothing else. Um, what was so? What so? You spent some time playing with them. What was your exit out of baseball like? Did you spend a long time? So yeah. So what's funny is that the day after I got caught with like with the the day after this thing with the. Uh, with the um, girls, with the girls in the room, they—I actually got released the day after. Now I still don't know if it was because of that, if it was because you know I wasn't—they didn't. What they said, which was true actually, was that they wanted to keep people in the organization that were kind of clear prospects, and they thought I was really good, but that I wouldn't advance quickly enough. At the time, I was playing pretty well, and I'm not, I don't think I deserved to get released, actually, at that time, um, but it happened. You know, what does released mean? Is it, is it like getting fired, fired. basically? Fired. Yeah. Here's your pink slip. So, yeah. at the time, that's what happened, and, uh, you know, I got to say, it was a very weird time in my life, because I had known nothing else other than baseball, and for the first time, it hit me mentally. I was like, wait a second. I don't have to play tomorrow if I don't want to. You know what I mean? It was almost like, it was almost like it had gotten to the point where like I had to play because that's what I was and what I was doing. And for the first time, I actually had a choice. That's interesting. Yeah. How did that feel? It probably felt pretty good. Be like, wait. It actually felt, yeah, it actually was a little bit of a relief because I had been under a lot of pressure and stress with baseball for a very, for lots of years. 
trying to uh, make it to right. the major leagues and achieve this goal. And, um, you know, it definitely formed my brain. I'm still a very goal-oriented person now, even though I think I'm much more relaxed than I used to be mm-hmm. in terms of accomplishments. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it was shock. It was a little bit of, wow, I can do something else. You know, it was, it was a lot of different things. And I actually was offered after I got released that I could have gotten signed by, uh, by the Detroit Tigers. But I actually said no. Maybe I, going back in time, I think I, maybe I should have said yes. But I thought maybe I should go back to college. Maybe I should do something else. Um, and uh, I kind of, uh, I think I kind of felt in my mind that I had taken my ability as far as I could. And I'll, I, I think, like, I, I could have kept going, but I wasn't going to make it. You know what I mean? Right, it's, right, like, right. it's like I had done it. I had, done, I had already done more, maybe, than I was even supposed to do. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, it's interesting how, like, so here's it's an interesting situation where you have this goal and you're pushing yourself and you're going against all these disadvantages. And you arrive at a point where now you're like, okay, it's still my goal and I've put all this effort in, but at the same time you're able to realize it that, Oh, maybe I'm these physical disadvantages that I have. I just can't, no matter what I do, I can't overcome that. I'm not going to be a huge baseball player. So that's interesting. Yeah. And I, and I didn't want to be like some of the guys that I saw that just, they, they can't do anything else but play baseball. They're still trying to, you know, make it when they're 25, 26 years old, but they're clearly not going to, you know, can you move the uh, can, or is the can crucial to the? Uh, there you go. Yeah. Um, so, uh, interesting. Yeah, so, so I, and I, so, uh, then you went to college. What did you study in college? So, when I went to college, I, I, I had I, after this, like I, I went into a period where I had no idea what I was going to do because I, when you grow up and you're doing something that's always your passion all the time. Um, it's very, very difficult to find something to take its place, mm-hmm. you know? So, and I've never been like, I guess I was like a smart guy, but never really concentrated on academics. So I, I kind of like, well, what happened originally is there's a rule in college where you have division one, division two, II, division three, you have different divisions of NCAA athletics. And, um, I decided to go back to college and play baseball in college because in division two college, if you sit out, if you go to college and sit out a year and don't play the next year, you can go back to play. So I was like, I don't want to regret anything. Let me like try to go back to, to a college and let me play again and see if I can get drafted again you know what I mean like I, I had like oh, you didn't actually up. give up on it yeah I didn't really give up yet so I went to uh but the thing is after I got back home from after I got released from the Rockies I started to go out and party and have a good time and do things that I never did you know like I was like wait a second like maybe I can like try to get some girls maybe I can like I, I was like so sheltered like, I didn't even I didn't even know how to talk to a female when I was 18 years old. Cause like all I had ever done in my life was play baseball. Interesting. And this is the type of person I was. And I kind of was like, let me try to do 
some of these different things that other people had done, you know? I think, I think I very much looked at other people who were different than me. And instead of saying, screw it, I'm gonna be myself, I actually would try to become that person and kind of like develop the skill that they were good at that I wasn't good at. Okay. Does so what's an, kind of, so this was happening in college. You saw somebody. No, in, in the, right before I went back to college, I was, I was having a good time. And so I went down, I went down to this place, Florida Southern college to play baseball down there. And I just, I, I wasn't serious. Even though I was playing baseball there, I wasn't really serious about it. You know? Yeah. Uh, by the way, I lost you on video, but I don't know if it matters. I'm going to come back in a second, yeah. All right. So I started, I started to play baseball again, but I wasn't really focusing on it. And so what happened there is I um, – the, the coach at the end of the year was like, hey, we don't want you here. We don't want to play here. We don't want you to play here. And by the way, as I was doing this, I was kind of developing an interest in singing this whole time. I started to take some lessons. I started to like try to sing with my voice. I was kind of experimenting with it. Um, well, when so when did that so when did that happen? That was happening. That was during this just period of time where I'm at Florida Southern College, and um, I started to try to sing. Where did that uh, come from? Like, what is this passion for singing? And like, when you well, say singing, be like singing, opera my or dad, my dad was a singer, and I was a good singer when I was a kid. I was a very good child, uh, boy soprano singer. What and, kind of singing um, did your dad do? Was he like a professional? He was like a Frank Sinatra singer. For fun or did he do clubs? Yeah, well, he put himself through law school singing uh, nightclubs and weddings and things like no that. No shit. Yeah. Yes. So I, um, so I started to sing and I, I started to get into like, I wanted to be like Josh Groban. I wanted to be like Andrea Bocelli. I thought it would help me like pick up girls. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I had this whole, you know, thing going, but I started to get really kind of obsessed with it at the time. And you're but like 18 no years old? Of... You're like 18, 19 years old? Yeah, 19, 19 or 20. So at the end of this year, I, um, I uh, you know, the coach says, we don't want you here. So then I, I ended up coming back home. I said, oh, I'm going to show these guys. And I ended up, going to another college in Connecticut called Post University to play for this guy, Rico Bronya. He used to be the first baseman for the uh, Mets back in the uh, maybe early 2000, late 90s. I don't remember, or mid 90s. So I went back and I thought I'd really give it a shot again. I'd be back up in the Northeast where the scouts, you know, liked me. This whole time I'm kind of singing. And um, Interesting. I... Uh, I, after playing that year, I kind of realized at the end of that season, when I got a chance to play again, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to quit baseball. And I remember my last game, my father was there, my grandfather was there, you know, my last at bat or whatever. And I realized that, like, I don't have the energy or the motivation or the drive to sort of, like, climb Mount Everest in this again, you know? Mm -hmm. so, I, um, so I stopped. I, I quit, and I never looked back, really. I never looked back, um, which is weird, I think. When you – did you have a talk with your dad, and you were like, this is it, this is actually uh, – Yeah, I think he knew I was going to, but I was like, yeah, I'm going to quit. Like, I just – I don't want to play anymore, you know? I just – I didn't want to play anymore. For, you know, I, I 
I think uh, I tried as hard as I could, and I didn't want to do it anymore. I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I played, and people ask me, do you miss it? And I say no. Mm-hmm. Um, which is true. So, so your exit out of baseball was interesting. So why did you not take the Tigers gig if you kept I going to baseball? I don't know. Yeah, interesting. I think, I think it was because, like, if they sign you as a free agent, you have very little – like, the more money they give you in a signing bonus, the more opportunity you have. Because they've mm-hmm. inve- not only have they invested more money in you, but if they give you more money and you fail – the person who gives you more money, i.e. management, they look like an idiot, right. right? So the more money they give you, the more chances that you're going to have to succeed. So if they signed me as a free agent for like $1,000 or something like that, you know, it's going to be very, very difficult to make it. And I, I thought it wasn't worth it. I thought maybe the best route was to try to go back to college, play Division two, and get drafted again. You know, that, I, that mm-hmm. I could really shine there and get drafted again. But that didn't happen because, one, I, I think I had lost a little bit of the, of, the, um, of the desire, of the real, you know, drive to do it. And, um, and, but uh, singing was now picking up steam, it feels yeah, like. Yeah, singing was picking up steam in my mind. So I, I went to Queens College, you know, I, and, I, and then it's I It's like your fifth from, university at this point. Yeah, third, third, <laughs> right, third university. I went to Queens College. I uh, I sang for a voice teacher in New York City who um, had some students who had some very successful opera careers, and he said, "You know, you've got a good enough voice to be a professional opera singer." So that was all I needed to hear. I was like, "Yes," and I think that really my real thing that I'm naturally more gifted at. We're talking about like natural talents is I'm a pretty good public speaker. I'm not nervous about singing in front of people. I'm a good performer. You know, these are things that most people dread or have nightmares about. Right. For me, they're very easy. And I, and I had a good resonant voice. But, you know, and, but then I went to Queens College and I didn't major in music because one, I thought, you know, what does majoring in music mean? Have to do with a singing career, it seemed kind of stupid like learning music theory or whatever, if I can't sing well enough, like what is that going to do for me? You know, which has its merits and has its demerits. So um, also, um, so, so I decided to major in psychology as sort of like a practical backup. I thought maybe I'd be a sports psychologist, you know, who knows? But right. I started to succeed with my singing very, very quickly, very rapidly and, and get a lot of attention for uh, my vocal talent very quickly. Um, so that, uh, that kind of takes you to there where I'm singing at like the age of 22 years old and um, starting to really get attention from my voice um, as a baritone. So that's where I was there. And at um, the same time, you go to college and I mean, did you want to become a lawyer? Was that kind no, of- No, that was not even in my mind at all. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think I was still living in my, in my dream. Like I'm going to be an opera. But the thing is, I also was kind of scared because I was, I was like, what do I really want to do here? Like, what does my life really want to look like? You know what I mean? Like, right. do I really want to be an opera singer? I think that like working so hard at baseball and seeing what that took and the sacrifices that I made, I think it made me actually a little bit nervous to do that again. Right. What if it doesn't Even work out? Right? Put all that effort in and get nothing in return? 
Well, not even that, but it's just like you recognize, like you accomplish something great and you realize that it doesn't make your life. You know what I mean? Of course. So that, that started to make me very, very, very philosophical or started my road uh, thinking about like, what is all this shit that we're doing mean anyway? You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Do you have any insights to share with the audience? Like, what is no, it? No, no, I just, like, I think we have a, a big bias in, you know, in this, uh, in the world where, like, working really, really hard is a good thing and working really not hard is a bad thing. For example, uh, this will remain nameless, but I was, like, reading the Instagram uh, post of some guy who's very successful, in, you know, in the sports world, and, and he was like, yeah, when I started my first job at this network, I was in the office from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And then I would go home at dinner and I would come back to the office from 10 p.m. to 2 in the morning. And, and I always wanted to be the first to do this. And I didn't want to get beaten. And I started to read this thing. And I'm like, we look at this as if this is like some really, really great thing to aspire towards. But when I really look at it, it's like, this guy seems really fucking neurotic. Right. You know what I mean? Is he really happy? He's like, all he's doing is he's, it's very easy to be successful. Just singularly focus and be obsessed with one thing and do it every day over whether you fail or whether you don't fail over a very long period of time. Right. Most people don't have but, the patience. Well, well, most people have the patience, but even when you get there, it's like, why is that a good thing? to work obsessively like that. And after you succeed, what are you left with, by the way? Because once one thing I learned is that when you become successful, you must be willing to deal with the consequences of your success. Okay. Care to expand on that? Like what are some consequences of your success? Once you become a great neurosurgeon, you have to be willing to wake up every day for the next 25 years and say, everyone's depending on me. I have to do this right. If I fuck up, someone's going to die. Like that's your life. Right. You've gotten there. You're a great neurosurgeon now. Right. But what are the consequences of you being a great neurosurgeon? And if you don't want to do that every day, then whether you can become, whether you're a great neurosurgeon or not, doesn't matter so like that's what i mean by willing to deal with the consequences of your success right when i became a lawyer and i and i became a lawyer at a big law firm and you work your butt off there all the time you know what i mean yeah i saw the partners who are making millions of dollars but they work constantly and they've got all the pressure on them all the time the client if they if they mess something up the client comes at them Right. All like all that. So it's like, yeah, you're making millions of dollars, but do I want to be looking at legal documents every day for 15 hours? Do I want to be getting screamed at by clients? Do I want to be waking up at three in the morning because because my client has a problem? Do I want to be doing this on the weekends, on holidays? Do I want this to be my life for the next 30 years? Because if you become a partner, that's your life. What about your family, your kids, hobbies? Gone? What about just like existing as a human being? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
And then people think, oh, well, this is good. But like, if I just want to like chill out and do nothing, that's bad. But in, 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 in any absolute sense, none of them are good or none of them are bad. It's just what people think. Hmm. You know what I, I mean? I totally agree with you. I do think we have a bit of a workaholic culture in the States. I mean, if you look at us, we have the least vacation days. There's no mandated vacation, uh, like pay time off rather in most states. There's you know, no maternal leave. We like to work. There's a bit, you know, we idolize the dollar and we idolize work as a way to get a dollar, which in reality, really, if you want to get lots of dollars, you should be investing in this crazy stock market. Anyway, don't, don't be working. Start trying investing. Um, but have you ever tried mindfulness, like meditation? Yeah, I got, I got into meditation. I got into a book called um, The Book of Not Knowing by Peter Ralston, which really kind of blew my mind. Mm -hmm. I, I got into a lot of this stuff where I started to kind of see, you know, uh, the way I was living my life and uh, accomplishments and things I was doing. Um, and I was like, this stuff is torturing me in a way. So why don't I just stop? You know? Like, yeah, it's, it's exactly. It's interesting. Why don't so I just stop? All, all of this stuff we have, all this pain, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's happening in our consciousness, it's happening in our heads, quote unquote. Yeah. It is self generated. I mean even if someone yells at you, you can then choose to let that go and not think about it or just be, well, right. or you can choose to obsess about it for the next three days and just work yourself right. into a tizzy. And also like Ralston, he brings up in his book that everything's driven by in some way by your survival, you know, but if you like actually drop, if you can try to drop or do a self experimentation and just like not care about your own survival, then really none of this even matters at all like if you didn't care about survival and a shark attacked you you wouldn't really care it would just be something well, that happened to you, you wouldn't what have is there to survive to you know uh -huh. what is there to survive when i meditate I, I i am able to glimpse that um there is no me there's no, no there's not you know we think there's this guy sitting in our heads we think there's a, there's a constant like dialogue going on and we think it's us but if you meditate and you practice a long time you can start to glimpse it and people have done psychedelics you know they also have this experience called ego death where you kind of start to glimpse that oh I'm, people describe it as like you're just connected to consciousness all around there's really no you there when you look for yourself there's it's not there it's just another thought that arises right right Right, so you are just your own thought, but like, what is the thing having the thought? There is no thing having the thought. Right, so even what are you? So right, then, so so I, then I, what are you I, even trying more, to survive? The more, the more exactly. Got, the more I got into these questions, the more I kind of stopped really caring about a lot of the things that I used to care about. And like, one of the things I read in, in the Rawson book that was really interesting was he he gave this example of uh, these experiments to do with monkeys where they like reach into some sort of a bottle to grab some food. Mm -hmm. And the way the bottle is designed is that once their fist is closed, they can't pull the arm out. Mm -hmm. Right. So the monkey will just like grab the food and it'll just like literally stay there for hours with its arm stuck in a bottle because it won't 
let go of the food. And he kind of analogized that to our suffering. You know, it's like, if something that. is driving you crazy, let it go, right? It's just like, for me, when I was thinking about, oh my God, buying a house, right? Like, oh my God, I've got student debt to pay back. You know, I don't want to be in a job that I hate all my life. That's horrible. But if I'm not in a job I hate all my life, then maybe I won't be viewed as successful. And if I don't have a house, maybe I won't have this. But then I was like, wait a second. What if I just like let go of my desire to be successful? Well, then I can let go of the job that I really hate, that I only have because I want to be successful. That's actually causing me a lot of suffering. I can actually just let that go. Right. If I don't care about buying a house, then I can just let that go too. It doesn't just let it go. It doesn't, it, because people think objectively that these things, if they get them, are like real things that they need to get to better their lives when they're not. They're just inventions. Like, like countries are also inventions. Everything is just invented by people. They're not true in the absolute sense. Oh, yeah, totally. Right. And I mean, so, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I think it's just like, you keep saying it and I, and I, and I truly believe it that like we have this view of, Oh, we're going to, I'm going to achieve this. I'm going to get my million dollars, you know, beautiful wife, house, family, and I'm going to be happy. And I guarantee it for everybody, everybody who's gone there, they say, Oh, that's not true. I'm not. In fact, they find themselves sometimes in almost existential angst, like all these things that, were, that I had to check the boxes of to get there it's not actually giving me that much. And uh, yeah, there, there is, there is no, there, there's there. nothing, there's nothing to check. There's nothing that will do right. that, which is uh, something to keep thinking about. We, when you're just trying to survive, cause you're just working like paycheck to paycheck or you're just busy all the time raising kids. Like it's, it's easy to just be in the grind all your life more or less. But then when you, when you kind of like, like to your point, have a lot of time to just sit and just be, you start to really think what what is I mean what is it all about? It's uh... right, but people put themselves in the grind. You know what I mean? People say, oh well, you know, like like uh, in other cultures, you got to get married young, you got to have a family. You know, that's part of like the culture. You know, so once you burden yourself with those things, you know, it's okay. Well, now I got to provide for my. It's all these things that come with things that people think you need to have. Right. So a lot of times, cultures create burdens for people. Right. What, uh, you know, uh, Ralston talks a lot about that in his book. I, I described it a lot worse than him, but like, do you love to say, why, why should I let this thing called a culture? What is this thing? And why am I accepting its imposition on me of certain things that are actually just going to make me miserable? Right. And I think the world would actually would benefit by, by, by that a lot. Um, so, I mean, we've kind of, we've kind of actually kind of skipped a whole lot of stuff because, um, this is kind of actually where I am now, whereas I'm, I'm, I'm really pursuing my singing because I, I still sing opera. I, I took off a very, very long time because I, I actually messed up my voice very, very badly when I was, you remember this, Pablo, because yeah. you knew me back in 2009 uh, when you were still in New York City. And I was, I, I was convinced by a teacher that I, right. I should be a tenor. And I wanted to be a tenor actually in, inside because it was part of my fantasy of being a great opera singer, was being a great tenor, like, you know, Pavarotti or something. And I believed that I could do it. 
You know what I mean? Like that same, like I can break through all those barriers just like I did with my, my running speed and I could do it. And I learned very, very, I learned the hard way that um, I couldn't. I ended up really ruining my voice very, very badly. I ended up actually having a chronic jaw pain. Um, uh, and also uh, there's a muscle that runs uh, from the top of your larynx up to your chin. It's like right in that soft part under here. Yeah, it's called the hyoglossus. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very tense. And it was, and all of these muscles in my face were actually so tense from singing incorrectly that I had chronic pain for years. And so I stopped singing from like 24 until uh, the age of like 32, really, where I wasn't really pursuing opera or wasn't really taking lessons. And I was just trying to figure out how to get my voice back. Um, and then I, uh, about a couple of years ago, I started singing again. Uh, now learning what my real voice is, you know, learning, you got to learn how to balance your ambitions with reality. You know what I mean? It's like, you've got a voice, your voice does certain things. Well, it's your voice. You know, if you try to make it like someone else's voice or do what someone else's voice does, well, you're going to run into some really, really big, big problems as a singer. Hmm. So I kind of learned as I got older to balance that. And I've begun to unwind a lot of the uh, problems, vocal problems I have. And I've started to discover like the truth about, you know, what good singing is, how to sing operatically the right way. Um, And that's been very, very fulfilling for me. And I'm doing it not, you know, I've I've started to pick up some things for a career, Um, you know, and I do want to sing professionally and I do want to sing operatic roles and I do want to be a successful opera singer. But it's not about being famous or singing at the Metropolitan Opera, although I'd love to. But I, it's, I love doing it. I love the process of becoming a better singer. And what is it about singing that you love? Like, why? What, what, like, so you took a long break. You came back to it now. And yeah. I'm sure you're coming out and you're saying you love it. You like the process. So like, what do you mean? Like, why? You just enjoy it every time yeah, you do it? It's like, it's like, to me, it's like a puzzle. Like, I really like the... Um, the, first of all, the, the, the expression part of it, I think I'm very expressive, you know? And I think that finding a way, finding my vocal efficiency or being vocal, vocally efficient is, is nothing but a mechanism of finding the most efficient way to express through song, you know? And I, it's, some, it's a talent that I have and it's sort of unlocking it. And as I unlock it, I discover more about myself. And I think that that's a big thing. I, like, I want to unlock hmm. my full potential as a singer because it's, it's of importance to me. And then I, and, I, and I do want to sing professionally, but I want to do it not because I'm a great self-promoter. I want to do it because I'm actually a, gr- a very, very, you know, very good singer. Um, and I, I think I'm going to get there. Uh, maybe 10 years after I would have if I hadn't have made that big mistake I made as a, as a young man in his early 20s, but I'll get there. And I think that that's the most important thing. Um, and, I, and I'll have learned some lessons in the process. You know, and now I have other things. I just got married. Congratulations. You know, so I, uh, shout out you. to Lauren. It's not, just, it's not just me making the decisions in my singing career anymore. You know, if I get an opportunity to sing, 
I have to depend upon, you know, the good graces of my, of my wife to, uh, you know, allow me to uh, go off to whatever opera house hires me and, and go sing. So, so how does uh, that work? Curious. Like, um, I mean, are there, I mean, in baseball, there's all these camps and like very few people actually yeah. make it to the major leagues, right? Right. How does the opera system work? Well, you have, you know, young artist programs. They're kind of like the minor leagues of opera, but I'm, I'm kind of a little bit too old for that now, 35. Um, so, you know, you, you sing, you get hired, you get a manager who likes you. You start getting, you get, you know, you get hired in a smaller venue. You know, you start to build your resume. If someone likes you like anything else. Um, and, you, uh, and you get hired in a bigger place and you sort of build momentum. <laughs> You know, I think it's do a lot of Do you get paid to do a show or do you get paid to like do, to join a Usually team? like if, if, a, if, a, if a company hires you, you'll get like, you know, you're doing six shows in, in a month, you know, or, or in three weeks. Um, and, uh, and you get X amount of dollars per performance. And so, you hmm. know, let's say you're making seven grand per, per, per you know, per, per performance, eight grand a performance times six, seven performances, and that's your, that's your pay for the... That's amazing. Is that, is that like for the top tier guys? No, top tier makes more than that. Okay. So you can make a living. The, the challenge is getting into it, getting, oh, getting yeah. into a company. I mean, if you're getting hired regularly in like good houses, you'll make six figures. And do most people move around different houses or they become like a permanent Yo, person? Oh, yeah. I mean, my friend... My friend um, my friend John Fettelman, who's a pretty, uh, you know, uh, you sang with him. You sent me the video, right? The two of you yeah, guys sang. Yeah, it was beautiful. That it would be released. Yeah, I mean, he tra he's in Europe all the time. Sometimes he's away for like five months, where he's just kind of like, you know, singing in uh, Buenos Aires, and then he's singing in, you know, he's got his next gig in Italy, and then he's got his next gig in England, and then he's got his next gig, you know, in France, you know, and each gig is a month, month and a half engagement. Is so this time in your life, is he the guy you're looking at and like, oh, I can mimic him? Or you don't yeah, mimic I mean, him? In a, yes, in a way um, where I'd like to, I definitely think he does. I mean, he's helped me a lot with my singing. Um, and I think he has good advice on, you know, how to do things in the business. But, you know, the singing business is tough. But I'm really at the point where, like, I, I, if I tried to copy John's voice or anybody else's voice, then it's not my voice. You know right. what I mean? It's, 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 you know, you have to, you have to release yours. You, you have, you only have, it's like trying to change your fingerprint. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you try to, if, you, if I try to change my fingerprint, my finger's not going to like that very much. Release your voice. You know, I remember you telling Pablo. You, you could be more efficient there. I'm sure I could, right? You, you, but you told me, like, hey, Pablo, you have a voice. You could do something with that. And a you long do. time ago. I always loved that. Yeah, you do. Yeah. To, but mo most people think an, op an opera voice is like, ooh, ooh, like kind of internal, like, ooh. Right, right. But you kind of be like, oh, oh. It's, you keep the integrity of the vowel with the space. So it's like, ah, oh, oh. Not, ooh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, it's. I'm gonna have to practice that one. You sound good though. You went into you went into kind of a false setup, which is fine. Yeah. Because I can do. I can do. That would be false setup. Oh, it's beautiful. 
But then you have your high notes, which is a combination. You have, oh, that's, 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 that's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. I don't. And, and by the way, even though that sounds good, that could be better. Of course, it could sure. Be you know, it's a, it's because it's like um, in singing, it's like who oh, any grunt that he hold is going to hold back the sound. You want to hold it? You always be like, oh, it's got to come out like a like you're letting your air, like you're going, like you're blowing your air out. Yeah, you've told me that before. I don't want to practice yeah. right now. People, gotta, people... It, it, it's, a, it's a complicated balanced coordination to do that. Interesting. Yeah. Your yeah. neighbors must love you. <laughs> do you sing in well, the shower? Now I, now, I, now I moved into a house, so now I actually can sing as much as I want. Oh, that's awesome. Where, whereabouts? Uh, Hicksville, Long Island. It's like right on the border of Hicksville and Syosset. Awesome. Long Island, baby. Yeah, we decided to get out of the city because it's kind of shut down anyway and kind of stinks. You know, but now I, it's, it's, frankly, it's actually cheaper to rent a house in Long Island than it is to, uh, you know, rent an apartment in New York. It's crazy. And now that I'm, now that I'm working from home pretty much all the time, you know, it's like, it's, you know, it's kind of a no brainer. What's your, uh, you know, this COVID thing that's happening? Are you are you tired of it? Are you done? You know, uh, I'm I'm personally not scared of it. I have no idea what's going on. I, I that the more the more I like read about things and the more I kind of like think about it, the more I realize like I don't know what's going on. No one really actually knows what's going on because like even people that are experts, you know, the one thing I've realized would made me doubt a lot of things was like seeing the top of a lot of professions like opera um, baseball lawyers i would say that like 90 percent of let's say voice teachers in opera you know know just enough to be dangerous but aren't like really experts i found that like only very 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 few people in any profession are really, really experts in their profession. Meaning like when real subtlety is there, mm -hmm. they can like really distinguish it. You know what I mean? And know what's going on. Most people are just sort of like generically good or like they, they know enough that they learned in school to get, to get by or to do it. So they're not really know what's going on. But, but to make that one point, I don't know what's going on. I have no idea. <laughs> it just seems very, very weird to me. You have all these protests. They say nobody contracted it. Then in Florida, you have breakouts. It's just like the whole thing just seems very, very strange to me. Are you sitting at home? Are you going out? I mean, things are probably no, closed. No, I, 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 go, I go out without fear. And I, I really only wear a mask to, uh, you know, because I don't want to deal with people, you know, being like, hey, put on a mask. So, right, right, right. Sure. Grocery stores or whatever you guys go yep. to, like a, a bars open, restaurants open, uh, outdoor seating. And you guys are okay. I, doing think, that. I think there is in Long Island at least indoor seating, but limited. But a lot of people have had a lot of trouble. Like I mean, I know opera singers who can't afford it and have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars from canceled performances. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Hundreds of thousands. What so? What's your trajectory now in opera? Like, how do you 
I mean, and if it's secret, you don't have to give it away, but how do you get yourself in a position to so, actually yeah, sing? I, mean, I, I think, you know, I, I actually got some interest in, uh, from a manager to hear me um, from what I, uh, you know, sang those duets. So that's going to come out. Hopefully I'll sing for a manager. I'll get more opportunities to sing. And you just keep singing. And the more people that hear you, um, and the more people you meet, and that's how you advance. You know, somebody likes you. Hey, I'm, I need somebody. Or, or you like, or right now, like I'm learning roles, right? Like I'm learning this role of Marcello in La Boheme. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you get a manager or you get somebody that likes you. Singers get sick all the time. Oh, somebody gets sick. They're canceling. We need somebody to step in. Oh, this guy Adam's got a great voice. Why don't we give him a shot? You know, like, so you just kind of. Uh, we have to know the part. Thing, but like. The real thing is just becoming better, you know, singing for people and getting my voice out there and, and then just seeing what happens, you know, and I, and, I'm, and I do it and I'm ambitious about it and I'm working hard at it, but it's not my entire life the way baseball was when I was younger. How do you get better? Is it through just singing it every day, practicing? Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, for example, when I sang that note before, I felt a little bit of tension underneath my tongue. It's like, okay, well, how do I get rid of that? You know, how do I, you start to get attuned to subtleties, right? Like, um, uh, how do I, and then and you like, get that through practice, basically. Yeah. It's like, okay, what if I wanted to go, what if I wanted to, instead of going, no, oh, what if I wanted to sing it like lightly? Yeah. And or, or is the sound really clear? You know, is there like, is there a, is there breathiness in the sound? You know, is there, is there, is there like a, and you, and you, and you start to get different sensations, you know, of what it's like and about opening up your, 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 it's kind of like, you know, like if you, if you were going to snore and you're like, when you open up, it's like a yawn. Yeah. And you, you feel your Adam's apple drop, like, like your Adam's apple drops. Uh, uh -huh. yeah. yeah. So you want your legs to be low, you know, and then it's learning like, okay, uh. how do I, how do I, here, here's the thing, right? Changing vowels, like singing ah, eh, e, o, u, right? In speech, you go like ah, eh, e, o, u. Now in singing, it would be ah, eh, eh, ah, oh. So like you basically want to keep the resonance the same without changing, without um, without by changing a vowel. Mm -hmm. So I can try to change a vowel by going like oh. Have you ever thought about becoming a Hazan, one of those guys who sings in the synagogue? Yeah, and I actually got really, I mean, I'm not, well, this would be another opposite. I'm not religious. I don't read Hebrews. You have to learn all those prayers. I mean, that, that would just take a tremendous amount of time. Sure. But I got really into this guy. I've actually gotten really into, um, about 100 years ago, they were incredible cantors, actually from kind of where you're from, like, Ukraine, um, Russia, just incredible. They're incredible singers. I mean, really, the best I've ever heard. 
and I got really into listening to them. Um, there's this guy, Josela Rosenblatt, who was a great uh, cantor back in the early part of the 20th century. Wow. And these guys were just incredible. And I actually got a book of uh, music, classical cantorial uh, pieces oh, no that way. he wrote. And they're incredible. And the singing is incredible. And not only, you know, they can do a very, very fast coloratura, which means like, move like, oh, oh, they do very fast runs with their voice. Um, they have very uh, great ability to mix the falsetto with their real voice. So in other words, like, you have your, you have your chest voice, like, oh, you have that falsetto, like, ooh, right? So it's like, but can you mix them? You have, Couple of recurring well, segments. You, yeah, no, I get it. I mean, I and again, that. practice and listening to other things, and so that's that's your. And then in this in this today's world, it sounds like managers are a way for you to get in. Um, yeah, managers singing for people. Um, you know, getting the opportunity even in a small opera house, even locally, to just sing something. You know, um, I think social media is big. But just like anything else, it only takes one person to really like you, you know? When I was, when I was, uh, getting, when I was going to get drafted, only the Yankees and the Cincinnati Reds were going to draft me. So out of like, you know, 32 teams, two teams like me. But all it really takes is one. So I think if you've got a passion for something, it can't be manufactured. You know, that's the one thing I've discovered. I tried to be different things. I tried to be a lawyer. I tried to be... Um, you You're know, still a very good lawyer, by the way. I'm still clear. a good lawyer, but that's just my day job. But I tried to be get into economics. I tried to get into all these different things. I tried to be an entrepreneur. I was reading Gary Vaynerchuk stuff. I was doing <laughs> like all of these things. And then I realized like this is actually making me miserable because I am having to force myself to be motivated at something that's not actually really who I am. Yeah, no, I get it. And, and, and so then... I stopped doing it. Yeah. And then I began to realize, like, wait a second, if you're actually, if you're really motivated at something, you don't need Gary Vaynerchuk to, to tell you to do it. You're going to do it. And by the way, if you really love something the way I love to sing, it doesn't matter what obstacles you go through, you're going to keep doing it because you genuinely love it. Right. And you're doing it because you love it. No one can tell you that. No one can give that to you. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good thought there. Um, there's a recurring segment on the podcast called Hot Tips where you just can give any advice, any tip uh, to the world, and it's called Hot Tips. Hot Tips! It's time for Hot Tips! It's time for Hot Tips! Hot Tips! Um, so, yeah, do you have anything you can... Uh, you, you've given us a lot of good stuff. Just, it can be, yeah, it can be a I book, it can be a, it can be a thought, it can be anything you want. Hot Tips. Yeah, um, geez, my hot tip if I had to, if I had to say anything, it would be be honest with yourself, yourself about what your strengths are, 
what your weaknesses are. Don't try to be anybody else. Um, and go for the things that, that allow yourself to go for the things that you genuinely like by, by just get there. You know what I mean? Just get there and, and make, and make mistakes and keep going. I mean, there, there, and I, I think there's no other way to, there's no other way to do it, but to try to do what you want to do with each day and try to learn the lessons of that day and move forward. And the thing is, no one can really give advice to anyone because we're all really ourselves. So really just ex ex you're, you're your own, you're like, it's like you're your own experiment. You right. yourself. I like that. You are your own experiment. Your life is your own experiment on what it is like to be a being and do that for yourself. Live that experiment to its fullest. That's my tip. Took me a while to get there, but you're an experiment. And, 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 and live your experiment. Approach no your else. life as an experiment, right? No one else's. You get to the, do whatever you want and see what happens and try again. I love that attitude. Um, I guess that's what it takes. I was going to ask you, how do I know what I like? And that's probably, I mean, you, you kind of gave us the answer here. Yeah, but you know what? Maybe like nothing and that's okay. Right. See, that, see, I think that's the problem people have is they're looking for something to like. And when they think about the things to like, they think about the things that our culture says are the things that we should like. Mm -hmm. But you like doing this. You like doing this podcast. I do. So, like, stop trying to make yourself like something that you don't like. I think people already have the answers. They just don't want to really accept them. Yeah, that societal pressure and like it, it's it's big. I think it's definitely it's very big. People, but peers, I, I, yeah, it's tough. I wasn't tough. I I realized like, wow, I can't take this anymore because it was having an effect on my health too. Honestly, you look healthy so, now. Much healthier than I was uh, two years ago. Do you have any um, other thing I'm really curious I like people's thoughts on is like uh, investment strategies um, for retirement. Yeah. Know, a lot of people go for like index funds or some people just, you know, I'm going to pick Tesla or Apple. I'm going to buy whatever extra cash I have. I'm going to buy it. Yeah. Well, what? so honestly, I, I'm not a big investor. One, I find investing boring. I don't know. I, sure. I, I've never felt, I've never found internal motivation to do it. Like it just seems like torture for me. So I just don't really engage in it. Like I, I stopped making myself do things that I don't want to do. That yeah. being one of them, maybe when I have kids or something, I'll, I'll, I'll figure that out, but I don't want to do it. So I don't do it. I'm not really that interested in it. So I don't do it. So I'm not really the person to ask. That's fine. I mean, but so what do you do? You sit on cash? What do you do with your savings? I did, I did, you know, I just try to live within my means. I did buy some physical gold and silver uh, about two years ago just to have. Um, Great idea. So I have that. I've got a 401k. I don't know what's going on with it, but 
Yeah, I mean, if I went and I picked stocks, I would just be, you know, a monkey throwing darts <laughs> at a dartboard. But no, I, don't want that. I think I think a lot of people that invest that think that they're experts really, despite all the information they're intaking, are actually truly no better than a than a monkey throwing darts at a dartboard. Oh, I know. And Nassim Taleb talks about that in his book. Uh, I think fooled by randomness. Another great book that really changed my view on things. Fooled by randomness. Okay. Yeah. It's basically about the fact that people, things happen in, in the world and people's lives and they think that there's some sort of cause when they're just fooled by randomness. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, people love that. My mom, she's always looking for signs and this and that and like her leg hurts because yesterday it was raining and today it's too humid. I'm like, really? <laughs> It's yeah. interesting. Um, hey, this has been awesome. I, uh, I I love your takeaways. I think follow your passions. Don't do what you don't want to do. And really remember this. You're just living your own experiment. Don't let anyone else set the rules for you. I mean, don't do anything bad. Don't don't hurt other people. But otherwise, you know, be whatever you want to be. Try it out. I, 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 I agree with that. I agree with that completely. Because at the end of the day, our lives all end in disaster and the fact that we'll all be dead. Can so, you sing a uh, Conte Party Row, like those verses for us? Yeah. Conte Party Wasabi, wasabi. That's that's all I know. Oh man, you're good yeah. though. Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, does that mean till we meet again? Of course, anytime, man. Hopefully, I'll be out in San Diego soon. This is awesome. Thanks so much for doing this. All right, man. Thank you, Pop.